0: I told you a few weeks ago, that song by Third Day inspired this series of messages that I'm preaching, I Need a Miracle. Uh, It happened one night after a concert. An older couple came and talked to Mac Powell, the lead singer of Third Day, and uh, told him this incredible story about their adult son. Uh, who lost his job, was having trouble at home. Things were were turning against him. His bills were piling up. And and he thought the only answer was to kill himself. And so he got in his old Ford pickup truck, drove out to the woods, and he turned on the radio for the last time. And it was another third-day song entitled, Cry Out to Jesus. And he did. His life was transformed. He went back home to his wife and kids. Things were restored and they were there at that concert that night to tell Mac the story and said, our son would be here himself, but he's on a missions trip (laughs) and he wanted us to tell you that song. And so Mac went back and wrote the song, I Need a Miracle. And I don't know, maybe you're here today and things are going great in your life. Uh, You're on the downhill slide and everything's hunky-dory, peachy-king. If that's the way it is for you, well, praise the Lord, hallelujah, good for you. But for the rest of us, maybe you're here today and you need a miracle. Well, let me introduce you to the man who can do it, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at the miracles that are recorded that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. And today we're in John chapter 5. My sermon is entitled, Our Lord's Heart for Hurting People. And this is the third miracle that Jesus performed that is recorded In John's Gospel. I told the first service that I've been preaching for 42 years, I've been a pastor for 32 years, and I've preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons, but I've never preached from this particular miracle that occurs in John chapter 5, and so I'm excited today. Uh, I mean, you may not get anything out of this, but boy, I sure have. This is a phenomenal story that teaches us some great lessons about Jesus. The Miracle Maker. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. I know it's a lengthy passage, but it's a great story. So follow along. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. John chapter 5 verse 1. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Now before I read on in verse 3, depending on what Bible translation you're reading out of, you may not see the same words I'm about to read because in all of the newer translations, the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 is omitted. I'm reading out of the New King James. There is a side note, a column note in my Bible that tells me that the most ancient Greek text that our Bible comes from does not include verse 3b and verse 4. Uh, Theologians understand and know that later on the translators perhaps added this to make uh, the passage flow better. That's beside the point this morning. This is the inspired Word of God, all right? No question about that. But you need to understand that in the most ancient text, verse 3b and verse 4, are not included. Here's what verse 3b says. Waiting for the moving of the water. So here are all these sick, paralyzed people. They are waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 5 says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Because verse 10 says, The Jews therefore said to him who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Lord, I thank you for recording this story in John's gospel, this miraculous sign that you performed. I pray, dear Lord, that we would hear the message today and our hearts would be stirred and that we would receive our healing today. Lord, speak through your word and speak through me. As I try to preach it, in Jesus' name, amen. In Bethesda, Maryland, there is one of the most important hospitals in all of the United States of America. It is Bethesda Naval Hospital, otherwise known as the Walter Reed Medical Center. It is one of the most prominent hospitals in the United States because... When one of our presidents become ill or needs a surgery, they will more than likely take him to Bethesda Naval Hospital. It is to this hospital that many of our military men and women who are wounded in combat are brought for treatment of the trauma that they have received in battle. And during those times of war, the president of the United States will often visit the wards of Bethesda where the soldiers are being treated. As we read in our Bibles just a moment ago, Jesus visited a place called Bethesda where hurting people had gathered. And it's interesting to me that the name Bethesda means house of mercy. So, what does the name Bethesda mean? House of mercy. Hurting people need mercy. Huh? Hurting people need mercy. And Jesus, with a heart for hurting people, came to this place. Well, that's because Jesus always hangs out where there are hurting people. He's in the business of helping people who are hurting. And here Jesus will perform one of His remarkable miracles. The apostle John records seven such miracles in his gospel that he wrote. And last week we saw that later on John explains to us why he includes these miraculous signs in his gospel. In John chapter 20 verse 31 he said, but these are written, this gospel is written, these miracles have been written down that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that." By believing in Him, you might have everlasting life. So that's why John recorded these miracles, so that we would believe in Jesus Christ. So what is it today that we are supposed to see and believe about Jesus through this miracle that He performed? Three things. Number one, I want you to see our Lord's compassion for hurting people. Jesus really cares for hurting people. This passage tells us that there was a Jewish festival in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to take part in this important holy day. But Jesus doesn't go to the temple. No, he goes somewhere entirely different. Verse 2 tells us where he went. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. That is a pool of water, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. And it has five porches around it. Now, this is where you went to find hurting people in Jerusalem. That's where all the hurting people went to hang out. Everyone there was suffering. These people were not lying around the pool on their beached house trying to get a suntan. No, not at all. They were lying on ragged mats and torn up blankets hoping beyond hope that they might be healed. There were five porches around the pool where people could sit, hiding themselves from the hot sun. This was a place of refuge for hurting people. In verse 3 it says, In these, that is, in these porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people. There were a bunch of them. The Bible Calls it a multitude. I don't know if that means hundreds upon hundreds or perhaps even thousands upon thousands, but I know this. There were a lot of people there and all of them were hurting. They were disabled people lying around the pool everywhere. And perhaps if you close your eyes, you can envision this scene of all these crippled and hurting people from various diseases and they are groaning and moaning and crying out in pain. I go to the hospitals quite a bit. Everybody on our staff goes and visits sick people. I've been in hundreds of different hospitals. And it's always interesting to me as I walk down these hallways and hospitals to hear the groans and the moans coming from the rooms of the patients. Almost every time I go to the hospital, I'll hear somebody groaning. And so it alarms me when Angie says, quit groaning. (laughs) Talking about me. Would you quit your groaning? Yeah. But have you ever been to a hospital and heard groaning people in rooms crying out because they're in pain? Well, that is exactly what's happening here at the pool of Bethesda. One of the commentators I read this past week described this group of people as a pitiful crowd of broken humanity. Now think about that. A pitiful crowd of broken humanity. Now you may wonder why so many Hurting people gathered at this particular place, the Pool of Bethesda. Well, it's because there was a superstition about this particular pool, this body of water. Now, as I said a moment ago, a lot of Bible translations don't include verse 3b and verse 4. And the reason why is that the most reliable Greek manuscripts that our Bible is translated from do not include the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4. I have a Greek New Testament in my office that I used at, at Hillsdale College in Southwestern Seminary as we learn Greek to translate the Bible. And, and it's true. Verse, verse 3, the end, and all of verse 4, it's not there. Uh, most scholars believe that later on, as they were copying the Greek text from one page to another, the translators included these verses just to make sense of this passage. Now, this is not what my sermon is about today, but if you're reading in one of those newer translations, you see it's not there. You're probably wondering, well, why isn't it there? What's going on? Well, it's because of the content of the verse. Here's what the verse says, verse 3b. These people were waiting for the moving of the water, the stirring of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. These people had the impression that from time to time an angel from heaven would come down and just just stir the water and whoever jumped into the pool first got healed. Again, if you go and read commentators, uh, even our own free will Baptist commentators who are some of the most conservative commentators are believe again that, that this was just a superstition that chances are this didn't really happen but you know what when you're a hurting person you will try anything are you with me? you know where I'm coming from that's why they were there and we're going to see in a moment the man in our story was literally waiting for something that would never happen to him On two levels. Perhaps it was just a superstition and nobody really did get healed. But on a deeper level, this guy couldn't even make it to the water. He knew he was never going to be healed. He was just hoping beyond hope. You know, I got to thinking about that this week. That's really where a whole lot of people are today. They're just waiting. They're waiting for their hurts to go away when when there's no hope that their hurts are going to go away. You know what I'm talking about? They're hoping beyond hope for something that's not going to happen. But you know what? Jesus sees that. And Jesus cares about you. Jesus has compassion on you. Verse 5 tells us, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. So here's our man in the story. He had been so sick for so long, he was too weak to stand on his own two feet. Now, we are not told in the text why this man couldn't walk, but he had some kind of infirmity that kept him from standing on his own two feet. And this infirmity had defined his life for 38 years. Wow. This guy was hurting. He was crippled. This infirmity had crippled him. He was hurting. What was he? Hurting. they are hurting people all around us. You know that? I don't know if you've ever had the privilege to go downtown with us to feed the homeless. We do it four or five times a year. We're going to do it again in May. But uh, if you've never been down there, you are missing out on an eye-opening experience. I'm here to tell you. Not only is it eye-opening, it's also a tremendous blessing. Uh, I always try to talk to the different people who are there and listen to their stories. And and they they have such interesting stories. Here's what I came to find out very early on as we would go down and, and help these homeless people. Most of these homeless people did not choose to be homeless. It was not their objective when they were in kindergarten to be a homeless person. They didn't go to high school to be a homeless person. A lot of these people just fell on hard times. And they have not been able to recover. And they are hurting. I mean, they are hurting. But you know what? There's a lot of hurting people. There are hurting people that live down your street. Maybe you don't even know about it. I live on a pretty nice street, nice houses. Everybody owns an acre. Some people own two acres, a little cul-de-sac street. Several years ago, I had some neighbors, two houses down from me, that apparently were hurting more than anybody on our street knew. I knew this guy. I talked to him almost every other day. I'd see him and visit. He was a friendly guy, great guy. His wife, they had two kids at home. One evening, he went into that house and shot his wife dead, turned the gun and put it in his mouth and killed himself. Two houses down from me. I was hurting. There are hurting people in this room. I look at you and, man, I see you, and a couple of you are smiling. <laughs> I know it's kind of a sad story you just told. Maybe you don't want to smile, but smile right now, would you? So just smiling. You know, you look good. I think, man, everything must be great in their life. You know what? I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe nobody else in this room knows exactly what you're going through and exactly how you are hurting. But there are hurting people all around us. In fact, let me go back to what the commentator said about these people around the pool of Bethesda. I think it can describe us. We are a pitiful crowd of broken humanity. We are. I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're crippled by an addiction that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe you're here today and you're crippled by a fear that you can't overcome. Or you're crippled by a hurt that you can't overcome. Or you've been crippled by an abuse that happened in your past that you cannot overcome. There are a lot of crippled, hurting people in our world today. And a lot of those people have just given up hope that things are ever going to change for them. i got good news for you today, though. Jesus sees. And he has compassion. I love verse 6. This is kind of where it turns. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Now, if you or I walked up to this pool in Bethesda 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, I think we would be somewhat overwhelmed. Hundreds upon hundreds of sick people groaning and crying out. We wouldn't even know where to start. Because we have no idea what's going on in each individual person's life. But that's not so with our compassionate Savior. Before the man could tell Jesus his story, Jesus already knew his story. And that's true for you today, Jesus knows your story. Jesus knows all there is to know about you. He knows you inside and out. He knows everything you've ever felt, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He knows what you're thinking in your brain right now. And the cool thing is, He loves you. So, I want you to see our Lord's compassion for hurting people. But number two, I also want you to see our Lord's challenge to hurting people. Verse 6 in its completion says When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now, this man was putting hope in something that would never happen to him. Let's just say this, this pull was a superstition. I mean, it, it's never going to change this man's life. Besides all that, he couldn't even make it to the pool if it were true. He couldn't get there. The Lord knew that. And so Jesus asked him a question. He challenged him with this thought-provoking question. Do you want to get well? Well, we might think that that's a meaningless question. You tell me what person in this man's condition wouldn't want to get well? He had dealt with this infirmity for 38 years. He had been crippled for 38 years. He hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. Wouldn't he want to be made well? We'd think so. But, church, listen very carefully. Sometimes a person's identity is so connected to their weakness. Did you hear that? Sometimes a person's identity is so connected to their weakness that they cannot imagine living without it. I've always wondered in the back of my mind, why will a woman leave one abusive relationship and just jump right back into another relationship that is even more abusive than the first relationship? Why is it that some addicts will break free from one addiction but yet fall into another addiction that's just as bad and captivating? Why is it we go from one bad thing to another bad thing? Why do we do that? I told the first service I, I had a relative years ago, and I don't even know how this guy was related to me. I, he's somewhere in my mother's side of the family. Uh, I don't. He, he just. He stayed in trouble all the time. And uh, I can remember as a little kid, he was was in jail, out of jail, in prison, out of prison. And we we come to realize and and figure out, because he told us that, that that was his identity, that was his safe place, jail. So when he got out of jail, he would do some kind of petty crime just to be back in jail because that was his life. Now, that doesn't make sense to some of us. But to others of you, you're identifying on some level with that. The British evangelist Nicky Gumbel tells us about a funeral he did a long time ago for an elderly woman who was known in the community as the bag lady. For years she had roamed the streets begging for whatever she could get from others. And and Nicky Gumbel didn't think very many people would attend the funeral. But there was another pastor who was uh, going to help him with the funeral responsibilities that said, yes, I really think there'll be a lot of people here. He said, maybe you don't know it, but a few years ago she inherited millions of dollars. So there will be people here. He said, family members are going to come out of the woodwork for obvious reasons. And so after the funeral, Nikki asked one of the family members why this woman lived as a beggar even though she was a multi-millionaire. And here's what the family members said. She didn't want to give up. The only life she's really ever known. Let me say it to you like this. She didn't want to get well. Are you with me? She didn't really want to get well. So Jesus asked this man who had had an infirmity for 38 years, Do you really want to get well? And what's interesting is the guy didn't answer Jesus back straight. He he really answered him by growling out several excuses. Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, somebody else steps down before me. In other words, he's saying, Everything is against me. Nothing ever goes my way. I can't take... One step forward because I'm always taking two steps back. Hey, you ever feel that way? Come on, raise your hand. You ever feel that way? Yeah, man. No matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get ahead. I know part of this has been depressing, but I got some good news for you. Jesus can change all of that. Jesus can turn that around. So he challenged the man with a question. Do you want to get well? But notice what Jesus does next. He gave the man a command. He challenged him with a question, but then he gave him a command. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. (laughs) Interesting. Jesus commanded the man to do something that this man couldn't do on his own strength. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't pick up his bed. He couldn't walk. He had been that way for 38 years. Jesus commanded him to do something he couldn't do on his own. (laughs) Is that ringing the bell in your head? We'll get there in a second, man. Another cool thing I noticed about this passage is Jesus never touched this guy. Jesus didn't didn't reach out and pull. We want Jesus to reach down and pick us up and pull us up. We want Jesus to wrap his arms around us and and carry us. Don't we? And I know I'm being a little facetious. That's not what Jesus didn't even touch the guy. You know, Jesus just spoke the word. Get up. Stand up. Walk. Didn't even touch him. In fact, pretty cool when you think about it. We've, we've now looked at three miracles in the Gospel of John. Jesus hasn't touched anything or anyone yet, and he's performed three miracles. First miracle, turning water into wine. Jesus didn't touch that water. He just spoke the word. It happened. Last week, we, we noticed Jesus healing the nobleman's son. He, he did it long distance. The kid was 20 miles away. Jesus spoke the word. He was healed. In our passage today, Jesus simply speaks the word. Can I tell you, church? Jesus' word is power. His word can change lives, man. Every command is a promise that in God's strength it can be done. Every command is a promise that in God's strength it can be done. You might not be able to do it on your own strength. This guy couldn't. But if Jesus says to do it, you can do it through His power and His grace. You you see, there was something very compelling about the command of Jesus that that moved this man to attempt the impossible, to stand on his feet, to pick up his mat, and to walk. Goodness, that's the power of the Word of God. (laughs) So, the compassionate Savior meets us where we are. The challenging Lord lifts us up to the next level. But number three, I want you to see our Lord's cure for hurting people. Verse 9, immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And the day was the Sabbath day. How long did it take for this guy to walk? Immediately. Bam! Just imagine. 38 years of weakness, 38 years of suffering, 38 years of misery, reversed, bam, just like that. Not just stopped, I mean, it was reversed. That's the power of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus. Have you ever had surgery or been laid up for a few days, you know, have you, anybody? Anybody? It's hard to get up and walk if you've been laid up. You, you know, all your muscles just kind of just start deteriorating and, and you don't have strength. You can't hardly, If you do get up, you know, you're out of it. This guy, 38 years, he hadn't been on his feet, but boy, he just jumped right up and he was gone. I don't know. Maybe, I think he had Atlas legs after that. I, you know, I don't know. It was a miracle. Jesus changed his life immediately. That's the power of Jesus. That's how quick Jesus can change a life. Bam. BAM! Just like that, man. This healing was all Jesus. Did you get that? It's this, this all Jesus. Jesus. This is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Th- this man didn't cry out for help. Th- this man wasn't like the woman who just reached out for the hem of his garment. This man was just laying there in his misery. He had given up hope. Hope of ever being healed. Hope of anyone ever helping him. In fact, at this point, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Much less believe in him. Now guys, I'm going to tell you, that'll mess with your mind. As a good Christian free will Baptist, that'll mess with your mind. God didn't even know Jesus? You You mean to tell me this guy didn't even believe in Jesus? And Jesus did this for him? That's the grace of Jesus. That's the grace of God coming to us when we can't change ourselves. Coming to us when we have lost all desire and all hope. You you may be here today just just because it's what you do every Sunday morning. You just go. You're not expecting nothing. I mean, you've never had anything yet. You're not going to get nothing. You just come. You just sit. Can't wait for him to shut up so I can go. You're not expecting anything. Jesus sees you. He knows what's going on. He can change you instantly. But this isn't the end of Jesus' healing. We, th- we think it is. Jesus just get up, walk. The guy got up and walked. Miracle done. That's not the end of the story. In fact, there's a deeper healing here that this man needs, and Jesus knows about it. Because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders were somewhat upset, and they hassled the man who had been cured for carrying his mat. They're ticked off because this guy's walking around on the Sabbath day carrying his mat. Can you imagine that? They're mad because he's carrying his mat. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day, that's a law. And carrying a mat was considered working. Why in the world are you carrying your mat? Well, these hyper-religious people were so concerned about rule-keeping that they couldn't rejoice over the fact a man who had had an infirmity for 38 years was healed. <laughs> so here's what the man said: hey, "I was just doing what the man who healed me told me to do." And the Jewish leader said, "Well, where is he?" Man turned around to look for Jesus, but Jesus had slipped away. The multitude of the crowd; he had just walked off and. You think that's the end of the story, but it's not. Because later on, Jesus finds this guy. Jesus goes hunting for our man with the infirmity. And he finds him in the temple. And this is what he says in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, what in the world could be a worse thing than having an infirmity for 38 years that you've just been healed of. Well, are you thinking? What could be worse? Well, let me tell you like this. This man's greatest need was not for physical healing. His greatest need was for spiritual healing. This guy had received a miracle and had been cured, but he was still lost. And so Jesus went after him. We're not given any of the details, but obviously this man lived a very sinful lifestyle. He was a sinner, but you know what? We all are. His greatest problem was his sin problem. If he is not healed physically, he's going to die because of that infirmity. But if he is not healed spiritually, he is going to die a spiritual death and be separated from God for an eternity in a very real place called hell. That is the worst thing that could happen. Jesus said to him, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. That's the worst thing. In fact, a few verses later, Jesus is going to use this occasion to proclaim an awesome truth about himself. Look at verse 24. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, who has sent me, has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment... But he has passed from death to life. That's what believing in Jesus does for you. It allows you to pass from death unto life. Now I'm almost finished, but listen to this. Here's here's just a sad note on my part. As far as we know, this particular man who had had an infirmity for 38 years walked away from Jesus without ever having crossed from death to life. We're not told in the Word of God that he believed in Jesus. I mean, I really don't think he did because what he did right after that was go, you know, tell on Jesus. Tell the Jews it was the guy that healed me. He his name Jesus. Here's what I think about this guy. He walked away with a healed body, yet having a lost soul. He walked away with a healed body, but his soul was lost. So, let me sum things up and ask you a couple questions. You ready for your questions? Get your pen out, piece of paper. No, no. Question number one. Are you like Jesus in this story? With a heart for hurting people? Or are you like these religious leaders? Who are more concerned with keeping the rules than you are? About helping hurting people. Question. Who can you identify with here? I hope it's Jesus. And I hope before this service is over with. You take a step closer to Jesus. To have a heart of compassion for hurting people like Jesus does. Get your religious nose out of the air. Start looking around you. And realizing that God has put you here at this place and at this time to share His heart and His compassion with people around you that are hurting. I know they're sinners. I know they're dirty, rotten sinners. I know they don't stand for what we stand for. I know their lifestyle is appalling to you. I understand that, but you know what? That can all be changed if you would love them and share the compassion of Jesus with them. Question number two, are you like this disabled man? Maybe you're here today and you're crippled. You're the one who has a hurt. If so, I don't want you to walk away without Jesus. Don't walk away without crossing over from death to life. Think think with me just for a moment, church. Think about what the grace of Christ does for us. Think about what His transforming grace does. Jesus commands us this morning, You leave that harmful habit. You put it aside. But then He gives us the transforming grace to put it aside. He commands us this morning, You turn loose of all those hurts you've been hiding behind. And what does He do? He gives us the transforming grace to do it. He commands us this morning... Face your crippling fears with courage. And He gives us the transforming grace to do it. He challenges us this morning and commands us to lay down our lives daily and to take up our cross and to follow Him. And He gives us the transforming grace to do it. Let me tell you, God is not going to ask you to do anything. He doesn't supply the grace for with which you can do it. So trust Him. Don't walk out of here today without Jesus in your heart. That brings me to my last question, question number three. Look at me, look at me, I'm almost done. Most important question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? I can't do it but I can point you to the guy who can. Jesus can. Jesus can. He can deal with all that physical stuff, yes, but that is secondary to the most important thing. The most important thing is your spiritual soul. Do you want to be made well? Let him make you well today. Trust him. Bring your life to him. Gather up all your problems, bring them to his cross today, because he loves you. Dear Jesus, I pray that as you extend your heart and love to us today, we would hear the command to rise up, to walk to the altar. Lord, we do want to be made well. Help us to step out in faith and come receive the miracle that you have for us. Lord, I believe there's someone in this room that needs to be saved today. Would you give them the courage to come and invite you into their heart? Lord, for the rest of us who are just dealing with those hurts and hang-ups that cripple us, may we come and give them to you. Lord, for those who just need to come and pray, give them freedom to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? These guys are going to sing. Why don't you come and pray?